How to Beat the Racists, a Workers' Liberty Pamphlet, a short history of black people in Britain. The history of black and Asian people in Britain is a history of racism and of resistance to racism. The victims of racism often received white working class solidarity and had the backing of radicals and socialists. Workers' Liberty surveys the history. Individuals and small groups of black people have been living in Britain for at least 500 years, but only after the 1650s did their numbers begin to rise significantly. When the triangular trade began, manufactured goods went from Bristol, Liverpool and London to the African coast, where textiles and guns were bartered for black slaves. The slaves were taken across the Atlantic to the Leeward Islands, Suriname and Jamaica, and there exchanged for sugar, spices and rum. These goods were then brought back on the third leg of the triangle to Britain and sold. It was an enormously profitable trade, one product of which was the creation of black communities in the slave port towns as slaves and black sailors found their way to Britain. By 1800, the black population of Britain was probably around 10,000 from a general population of 9 million. The first black political leader in Britain was Oluade Equiano who was kidnapped by slave traders as a child. By saving from petty trading, he bought his own freedom for £40. Equiano travelled widely. In Britain, he participated in the largely white abolitionist movement, wrote a key popular expose on the slave trade, interesting narrative, and joined the radical London Corresponding Society. One of the five poor and determined radicals hung after the Cato Street conspiracy in 1820, was a black man, William Davidson. A black tailor, William Cuffey, was a hero and martyr of the Chartist movement. Transported with two white comrades to Tasmania in 1849, he died there in a workhouse in 1870. The British slave trade was only abolished in 1807, slavery itself in 1833. Racism, which had developed as a justification for slavery, continued expanded and mutated to justify empire. Peter Fryer writes, quote, from the 1840s to the 1940s, Britain's native policy was dominated by racism. The golden age of British empire was the golden age of British racism, too. The flood tide of racism never completely submerges the image of black as man and brother kept alive by three distinct traditions. Humanitarian abolitionism, radicalism and working class solidarity. Indeed, there has been a strong tradition of white racism in Britain, but there is also a strong current of anti-racism and solidarity too. For example, during the US Civil War, 1861-5, the British government was sympathetic to the slave-owning southern states. The British workers were generally for the North and abolition. Karl Marx, for example, reports on attending large workers' meetings, called to back the northern states, and even, at great cost to themselves, the workers of old charter centres of northwest England suffered tremendous hardships because the North was blockading the slave ports and stopping the flow of cotton to the British textile industry. But they stood solid for Lincoln and liberty. The first Asian elected to Parliament was an Indian man, Dadabahai Naroji, a campaigner against British policy in India, and although elected as a Liberal in Finsbury in 1892, he was a good friend of H.M. Hindman, the British Marxist pioneer and campaigner for colonial independence. The Indian intellectuals in Britain were mostly radicals. Hindman was invited to open the Indian Home Rule headquarters in Highgate in 1905. Indian revolutionaries found support on the left. 
Pan-Africanism began as a political current following a conference held at Westminster Town Hall in July 1900. One of the conference papers used a phrase the black American writer and campaigner W.E.B. Du Bois was later to make famous, quote, the problem of the 20th century is the problem of the colour line, end quote. The outbreak of war in 1914 meant work for black workers in munitions factories. By 1918, there were about 20,000 black people in Britain. After the war, and against a background of unemployment, there were race riots in Tyneside, Cardiff and Liverpool. At the start of 1919, 120 black workers were sacked in Liverpool after whites refused to work with them. Racist campaigns, which were reflected even in the militant mainstream left paper Labour Herald, were applied to by the US socialist Claude McKay and Sylvia Pankhurst's revolutionary socialist paper Workers' Dreadnought. In 1922, the Indian revolutionary Shapurji Sakhalala became MP for North Battersea. He left the Independent Labour Party to join the Communist Party in March 1921 and was elected on a Labour Party ticket. He lost the seat in 1923 but won it back with local Labour Party support and against the wishes of the National Party, keeping the seat until 1929. George Padmore, the Trotskyist C.L.R. James and Jomo Kenyatta were all active while living in Britain in the 1930s. Anti-colonial movements in Africa and the West Indies were linked via a Pan-African centre in Britain. On 22nd of June 1948, the Empire Windrush docked at Tilbury with 492 Jamaican workers on board. The workers quickly found jobs. There was a shortage of workers. The London Evening Standards report was headlined, Welcome Home. Over the next few years, others followed. By 1958, 125,000 West Indians had arrived. There were about 55,000 Indians and Pakistanis living in Britain. All these workers were British citizens. The 1948 Nationality Act had granted citizenship to all those from Britain's colonies and former colonies. These workers faced discrimination and, quote, colour bars, end quote, which prevented them entering some pubs, clubs and other facilities. They often had to take the dirty jobs and the night shifts. Half the white population had never met a black person and over two thirds held a, quote, low opinion, end quote, of black people. In 1958, there were race riots in Nottingham and London. Black militants attacked a fascist HQ in London in retaliation. British Trotskyists proposed that the trade unions create workers' defence squads to stop the racists in such places as Notting Hill. Over the next 10 years, racist agitation grew, demanding an end to black immigration. Peter Griffiths, Tory candidate in Smethwick in the 1964 general election, beat a Labour minister on the slogan, quote, if you want a nigger for a neighbour, vote Labour, end quote. Labour both tightened the immigration rules and passed a weak race relations act. In 1968, Labour panicked and passed the Commonwealth Immigrants Act in three days of emergency debate, restricting the entry into Britain of Kenyan Asians, British passport holders who were being expelled from Kenya, the victims of Africanisation. Tory MP Enoch Powell made a bid for the leadership of Britain's racists. His Rivers of Blood speech predicted blood violence, packed maternity wards and national disaster if black immigration was not halted. Dockers and Smithfield meat porters marched in support of Powell. Racist violence spiralled and in 1971 the Immigration Act, which came into force in 1973, ended primary immigration. In the 1970s the fascist National Front grew. 
The anti-Nazi Kevin Gately, a student from Warwick, was the first person killed on a British demonstration since 1919 as anti-Nazis fought fascists in Red Lion Square, London. Rock Against Racism was founded by anti-racists who were outraged by racist remarks made by David Bowie and Eric Clapton. In 1977, the Anti-Nazi League was formed as an umbrella group of over 100 of locals of local anti-fascist initiatives. Between 1976 and 1981, there were 31 racist murders in Britain. In the 1960s and early 1970s, there were many instances of racism in the unions, discrimination against black workers and even racist strikes. The turning point was the Grunwick dispute where a largely Asian women workforce struck against an Anglo-Asian employer to demand union recognition in 1976-7. The women were backed by mass mobilisations of building workers, miners and electricians who fought the police on mass pickets alongside the Grunwick workers. By the mid-70s, there were 2 million black and Asian people in Britain in a general population of 57 million. Police violence and malpractice against black people escalated. The political police, the special branch, kept a watch on black activists, leading to the Mangrove Nine trial in 1971. A black radical meeting place, the Mangrove, in West London, was repeatedly raided, and following a demonstration, nine leaders were arrested. The defendants were acquitted by a white jury, some of whose members later went out drinking with the defendants. In 1976, Notting Hill Carnival was attacked by the police. The notorious Sus laws were used to systematically stop and search black youth. A major explosion of anger rooted in racism and poverty took place in the summer of 1981. Handsworth, Toxteth and Brixton erupted in rioting. At a set-piece confrontation in Southall, 3,000 riot police and mounted police attempted to protect a fascist meeting booked for Ealing Town Hall from 5,000 anti-Nazis. 342 mostly Asian people were arrested and white anti-fascist Blair Peach was killed by the police. Asian youth organisations were formed. In areas such as Southall, West London, these youth groups were capable of fighting and beating the fascists. On 3rd of July 1981, Asian youth fought the police and burned down a West London pub which was being used to hold a Nazi skinhead gig and ran 300 fascists out of the area. Police in Newham, East London and in Bradford attempted to criminalise Asian youth in the 1980s for the crime of self-defence against racist attacks. Since Grunwick, the attitude of the British trade unions has shifted. Bill Morris was elected to lead the TGWU in 1991. Now the TUC organises anti-racist festivals and marches. Some of the more offensive manifestations of popular racism, for example in 1970s TV sitcoms, and some common racist language have gone from respectable conversation. Many of these changes in attitudes as well as government laws and formal union policies have been won by from the ground up campaigning in which white and black workers have stood side by side. On the other hand, both Tory and Labour governments have run racist campaigns on asylum. Immigration rules are strict. The police, having made nods in the direction of equality following the Lawrence case and the McPherson report, continue to arrest, brutalise and even kill black people. United against racism, we can win. William Cuffey William Cuffey, 1788-1870, was an important figure in the mass workers' organisation, the Chartists, which fought for the vote for working-class people. 
Cuffey was the son of a slave. He served an apprenticeship as a tailor and became an active trade unionist. After being sacked for involvement in a strike, Cuffey became convinced of the need for universal suffrage and the need for working class representation in Parliament. Cuffey joined the Metropolitan Tailors Charter Association in 1839. In 1842, he was elected to the five-man Chartist National Executive. Later that year, he became president of the London Chartists. Cuffey was on the physical force wing of the Chartists and was arrested in 1848 and accused of plotting an armed rising. He defended himself bravely in court, but was convicted and transported for life to Tasmania. Even after he was pardoned, he stayed in Tasmania and continued his political activity. William Cuffey died in poverty in a workhouse in 1870.